Welcome to Central Baptist Church Buna's weekly sermon podcast. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at cbcbuna.com. Amen and amen. If you have your copy of God's Word, would you turn with me to Galatians 2? Uh, Galatians 2, this is going to be our last time in Galatians for a little bit. We'll circle back to it in the new year, so don't, don't lose it. Don't take it out of your Bible. Uh, leave it there. Uh, we will be back to it uh, in 2024. Hey, I don't know about y'all. I'm really excited for not only this afternoon. It's going to be awesome. Really pumped about that. I'm also excited for Tuesday. And here's the thing. I, I love, you know, national, like Casey said, did y'all love candy? And I was like, yes, from the front row. I don't know if y'all heard me. I was like, yeah, like national go to other people's houses and get candy. That's, that's amazing. I'm all about that life. Uh, so you know, and then you, when you're the dad and you have four kids, the best part is they go to bed at some point, right? And you've got four, four buckets to just go to town, right? Uh, so listen, the dad tax is very real, okay? Uh, and it should happen. It's just part of it, okay? And then there's like the hierarchy of candy. So in our house, it's definitely like the Reese's go very quickly, okay? Then we usually move on to Snickers, okay? Then they're gone very quickly, Peanut M&M's, that's next, right? And then, then you get to the plain old M&M's. You get to a point, though, it's like, you know, getting creeping up on Thanksgiving, and it's like, oh, there's some Smarties and Dum Dums left? Let's get after it, right? Uh, so I will tell you, we are down to the Smarties and Dum Dums from the uh, homecoming parade. So it's time. It is time. So I'm excited about uh, Tuesday, and some of y'all may be as well. But I'm excited about Tuesday for a different reason probably than a lot of you. Because whether you know it or not, this Tuesday is the 506th anniversary of what we call the Protestant Reformation. Uh, so today is technically on many church calendars, Reformation Sunday, and we celebrate that on October 31st, 1517, a relatively unknown German monk named Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses, 95 statements to the door of the Catholic Church And here really is the main thrust. There, there's 95 of them, so we're not going to be here that long. But let me just kind of throw out what we're looking at. The main thrust of Martin Luther's agenda was that the church and individual believers don't need a church to tell them what the Bible says. That God has given us his holy word. He's given us his Holy Spirit. And because of those things, you and I can read the word of God and dig into it and understand it together. That is a blessing. So here's what I want to tell you. You friends, if you have a Bible in your lap or on your app right now, you should take some time Tuesday to tell the Lord, thank you for the Protestant Reformation. And it's in the Lord's providence that we come to this text on this Sunday. Because what we're looking at is actually the text that God used to stir Martin Luther's heart to salvation. Luther was very concerned about if he was saved or not. Pretty good question to ask, friends, right? He, he wondered if he was saved because he knew that he was a sinner and he knew from his study of the word that God was a holy God. So he, he knew this and he desperately sought to make himself right with God. So much of Luther's life was spent trying to dedicate himself to the Lord and seeking righteousness. So he became a monk. But no matter how much he fasted, no matter how much he prayed, no matter how much he served, no matter how much he studied, he knew at the end of the day that he wasn't right with God. 
But the Lord one day brought him to these verses that we're going to study today. And in that moment, a light bulb went off. And here was essentially the light bulb. Salvation doesn't come through our works. It is a gift of God by His grace. And all we're called to do is place our faith in Christ and His work on the cross. This simple yet powerful truth is the truth of the gospel. And we're going to see it really clearly spelled out in this text we're studying today. So I'll just give you really what I've been praying all week. I've been asking the Lord to let this uh, be on Reformation Sunday, a day that perhaps you uh, have a reformation in your life, that the truth of the gospel would connect with you in a way that it hasn't before, in such a way that it would actually change your life. That's what I have been praying today. So uh, let's get into the text. We're going to start in verse 15 of Galatians chapter 2. The word of the Lord says this, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if, in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Would you pray with me and let's ask the Lord to help us understand his word. God, we we come to you right now asking you to do what only you can do as we study your word, and that's reveal your truth to our hearts. God, we we so desperately want to understand the truth of the gospel, and Lord, not just on a theological, like, head level, but Lord, we want the gospel to rule every part of who we are. So I pray that that this would just be another step in this journey of becoming a gospel-saturated people, Lord. We, we want to be so consumed with you and what you've done for us that it changes everything in our lives. So Lord, speak to us today. Give us just a Holy Spirit-enabled attentiveness to your word and your spirit. We love you and we thank you for what you're going to do. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, we dove into a really epic chapter in the middle of an epic book. You'll notice I skipped a couple sections for the first time in our journey through Galatians. And you may want to read those first 14 verses uh, later, but I'm going to kind of give you the rusty Cliff Notes version to catch you up. So last week we saw that Paul had, uh, was sharing how Jesus had revealed himself to him and called him to take the gospel to the Gentiles. But along the way, they kept running into Jewish believers who were saying, you're not Jewish enough. Congratulations on being saved, but get more Jewish. And they were not in line with that. So the first several verses of chapter two, for the record, might be the origin story of the Judaizers that we've been talking about throughout this sermon series. But Paul says there were spies. There were like uh, espionage here in the Bible in Galatians chapter two, spies who came in to see if Paul and his friends were Jewish enough. Spoiler alert, they failed. They weren't. 
Uh, So they go and try to stir up a problem with the other Jewish believers and ultimately the other apostles, so guys like Peter and James, say, no, this is not the gospel. The gospel is not Jesus plus Jewish religious customs. The gospel is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. So they stand behind Paul. But that wasn't the end of the story because we're told that Paul comes to Antioch a little bit later. And when Paul gets to Antioch, you might recall from the book of Acts that God through a miraculous vision reveals to Peter that, hey, I'm going to do a work among the Gentiles as well. So now Peter's heart has been changed. He recognizes, wow, God is even saving Gentiles. Praise the Lord. So he goes to Antioch and he's hanging out and eating lunch with Gentiles. Now, what you need to understand is that in the Jewish religious custom, this caused them technically to be religiously unclean. But Peter says, man, that don't matter because they are saved by grace through faith, so I'm going to fellowship with them. But then something awkward happened. Some of these Jewish Antioch, and all of a sudden, Peter kind of distances himself from those Gentile believers. Have you ever experienced something like this? Maybe guys and girls in the youth group, maybe this summer, man, God's just doing awesome things in your life. He's moving in an incredible way, and man, you're just growing closer to one another in the youth group, and you're like, man, God's doing something here. This is so awesome. I'm so glad I have all these godly friends around me. And then school starts, and all of a sudden it's like, yeah, I'm going to kind of go back to this group. I don't want to look weird to this group of friends, so I'm maybe going to act a little bit different. You see how this could happen, right? So, so Peter kind of does this. He doesn't want the other Jewish believers to see that he is fellowshipping with the Gentiles, so he is pulled away. And the text says that Paul confronts him to his face. Man, this is like something we want to see, right? Like Paul and Peter, let's go, right? And this wasn't just like a Facebook blast at one another. Literally confronts him to his face. Now, this wasn't just trying to hate on him and say, you're messed up and trying to argue. Instead, it was an attempt to lovingly correct him. And it must have been well received because we see later on in Peter's writing that he actually commends the apostle Paul. So this is where we get to the text that I just read for you. So, so what basically Paul has done, you, you will recall from last week, he said, man, this is a problem. The Judaizers are trying to add to the gospel. And then what he's done now in chapter 2 in the first 14 verses is brought the receipts. Like, see, here's a couple situations where legitimately this is what's happening. And what he does here is really tries to make the argument that I believe shapes the entire letter to the Galatian churches. And here it is. Justification comes through faith in Christ not the works of the law. Justification comes through faith in Christ, not the works of the law. And here's what I know, church. Like, we know this on a theological level. If I were to ask you, hey, can being a good person save you? If you have a church background, none of you are going to say, yup. We're going to say, no, pastor. Only faith in Jesus can save us. So we know this in our heads, but but here's what I want to just say. I think on a street level, most of us tend to live as if the other things we do, our actions, our morals, our good lives can in some way help save us. But you need to know today that justification only comes through faith in Christ. Now, I know that justification is a big church word, right? And, you know, there's a whole generation of people who say, that's the problem with the church. we got all these big words that people don't... Listen, if you can order a drink at Starbucks, you can learn some theological words, all right? 
So just take your venti mocha, turn in your man card latte, all right, and hold on to it, and let me teach you a word, all right? Justification simply means this, being made right. So, so in fact, justification and righteous come from the same Greek word. So literally, it's the process of being made right. So when we talk about justification, we're essentially asking this question, how can we be right with God? How can we be right with our Creator? Isn't that an important question? Again, I, I would argue that it might be the single most important question you ever answer in your life. How can I be right with Almighty God? And Paul's going to answer this loud and clear in the text as we study it this morning. And he starts with making it really, really clear to us that rules and empty religion cannot save us. Rules and empty religion cannot save us. In verse 15, Paul says, listen, I'm Jewish. I'm not one of these Gentile sinners. By the way, that's probably lingo that the Judaizers were using, is that all these Gentile sinners are now coming into the church. And he basically says this, man, we Jews had the greatest set of commands in history, the greatest laws, the greatest rules. We had the best set of rules ever compiled in history. In fact, they were given to us by God himself, and we couldn't make ourselves right with it. We couldn't keep them. We couldn't obey them. We couldn't follow them. In fact, the Old Testament has 613 commands. That's a bunch. And let's just be real. Let's zoom in on the Ten Commandments. There's some of you right now that because we got a great children's program, you can tell me what all Ten Commands are. But I'll just be honest, there's some of us, maybe me included, that if you put me on the spot, like, name all ten, go. <laughs> you know, panic. <laughs> So you might not even be able to name all Ten Commandments, but can I tell you, you know enough of them to know that you ain't keeping them. <laughs> Anybody ever stolen something? Guilty. Anybody ever lied before? Guilty. Anybody ever taken the Lord's name in vain? Guilty. And you know, Jesus makes it even crazier. Jesus said, Listen, you've heard it say, said don't commit adultery, but if you've even looked at someone with lust, you've committed adultery. Anybody ever looked at someone with lust? Guilty. So like if you're keeping score at home, so far you're a blasphemer, an adulterer, a thief, and a liar. And if any of you right now are like, well, actually, pastor, I think I'm doing good. on Congratulations, you're dealing with the sin of pride. So you're a sinner just like the rest of us. So what Paul is saying is like, listen, we're the religious ones. And if we're being honest right now, our religion, our religious rules are not making us or keeping us holy. They're not making us right with God. So, so for these Judaizers who are advocating for more laws, Paul says it is foolishness for you to think that more laws are going to help you get closer to God. The end of verse 16, he just comes out and says it, right? By works of the law, no one will be justified. So Paul continues, and, and he really alludes to our sanctification, which is another big theological word. Here's what it means. The process of being sanctified or being made holy. So when you hear sanctification, here's what it means. Becoming more like Jesus. 
So how do we become more like Jesus? Apparently the Judaizers were pointing out sin in the life of the Gentiles and they were saying, aha, we knew that this gospel Paul preached wasn't adequate. They're still sinning. Look at them. And Paul says, no way. Man, we don't grow by adding more rules. We grow by pressing into Jesus. Look at verse 19. For through the law, I died to the law. Why did I die to the law? So that I might live to God. So, so the law serves a purpose, friends. The law shows us. If you are prideful, can I tell you what you need? The law. Because if you feel like you're good enough to earn salvation on your own, the law shows you, man, I ain't doing so hot. And it causes you to run to the only source of help, which is Christ. So if the, the law couldn't save you and you ran to Jesus for salvation, Paul's saying, why would you go back to the law to help grow you? You need to hear this truth today. The same Jesus that saves you is the Jesus that grows you. This is real important, y'all, and I think a ton of people miss this. We think that we're saved by grace through faith. Some of y'all are amen in the snot out of that, and you ought to. Praise God for that truth. Snot was not in my notes. I'll just tell you that, so it's fine. Happy Halloween. And now I said Halloween, so I'm already so two of you, two strikes, one more, I'm out. It's all right. We're fine. Don't be legalistic. I'm getting to you. <laughs> so we're like, yeah, I'm saved by grace through faith. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And we act as if God saves us by grace through faith, gives us a pat on the rear, says, good game, man, go out there and do it on your own from here on out. I saved you, now it's up for you to grow yourself. It's up for you to fix things from here. Growth comes from our effort. God saved us, praise the Lord, thank you for saving me, but now I'll take it from here, Lord. But you need to hear me say this, justification comes by grace through faith. But also, friends, sanctification comes by grace through faith. I think some of y'all need to hear this because, man, you've been desperately trying to clean your life up, fix your life, make your life look good, make it seem like you got everything together and everything clean and perfect in your life. But here's what I need you to understand. Every time you work and work and work and try to get yourself there and you wonder why you're not growing, I want you to hear this call from the Lord today. Stop trying and start dying. Stop trying and start dying. I think verse 20 is maybe the most important verse in all of Scripture, among the most important verses in all of Scripture. Some of you get a little nervous when we start talking about the gospel like this, and I preach on grace, and we kind of, you know, we sing grace, we like singing grace, but when we start preaching grace, it kind of makes church people a little bit nervous. You think, well, now, pastor, if you don't kind of temper the gospel, People are going to think that they don't have to do anything when they get saved. And if that's you, friends, let me just kind of like gently ask you to lean in and let me just tell you, yep, that's exactly what I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. See, it made all y'all uncomfortable. Welcome to grace. Because some of you oh, well, but pastor, you better give them some qualifications. You better tell them what their responsibilities are. and all that. Listen, the moment you start trying to add to the gospel, you've got problems. You can be saved today by no works of your own, but simply come and place your faith in Christ Jesus. And this isn't a qualification that I'm going to give you, but here's what I want to tell you. This is the reality of your salvation here in verse 20. 
How does transformation happen? You say, well, wait a second. So you're, you're telling people they can just get saved and stay the same? That's not what I'm saying. But can I tell you what church people tend to do if we're not careful? Oh, you got saved. Here's the rule book. Good luck, buddy. And then when they don't look clean and perfect and like everybody else in a few weeks, we think, well, that didn't work. It didn't take. We lost another one. We got, you know, I've heard those statements. I'm afraid someone's going to get saved and baptized. They ain't going to come to church anymore. We've said that here at Central. Because we've seen it happen and you wonder what happened. Can I tell you, discipleship is one of the most important things that is the most neglected in every single church. Because we need the gospel not only to save us and we want to preach a gospel, an evangelistic gospel to call people to Christ, but we need to preach that same gospel to help people grow in Christ. So important, friends. Verse 20 says it this way, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And listen to this, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So how does real transformation happen in our lives? Friends, it's not by following the rules, but it's by dying to yourself and living for the Savior. That's how real change happens in your life. It didn't say, the life I now live, I live by the laws in the Bible. The life I now live, I live by empty religion. The life I now live, I live by good Southeast Texas people standards. No, the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and died for my sins so that transformation could actually be possible in my life. You ought to be amen in there, but I don't think you get it yet. That's all right. I'll keep preaching. So do you want to grow? Don't get religious. Get really saved and transformed by Jesus. That's how real growth and real transformation happens in your life. The simple way we like to say it is this. It's not about rules. It's about a relationship. It's not about rules, it's about a relationship. And I said this last week, and I want to say it again. And man, I'm just praying that this will convict some of us today. If you believe you're saved, yet you don't have a real relationship with a real living Savior, you might not be saved. Like you didn't get saved to a set of values and to an idea of a church or to an idea of being a good person in Southeast Texas. No, you got saved by a real living Savior who wants to have a real relationship with you. So man, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, let me just implore you today to consider your salvation. If you're just reading the Bible and trying to follow it like a rule book, you're setting yourself up for failure. When you have a real relationship with Jesus, he is speaking to you from his living and active word and God himself begins to mold and shape you into who it is he wants you to be. So these Judaizers, these religious people are saying, man, if you really want to be transformed, get circumcised and stop eating bacon. And the guys were like, uh, no to both. <laughs> right? It's like the anti-Father's Day message. What are you doing, Right? They say, this is what will really transform you. And what Paul is saying, no, no, no. Real transformation. The gospel comes when we walk with Jesus. And here's really what we're talking about here. The danger that the Galatians dealt with, I think it's the same danger we would deal with. And it's just good old-fashioned legalism. 
legalism. Legalism is the danger of adding things to the gospel. And I think it's easy for a church like us to read a passage like this and go, oh, those silly Judaizers, they even have a funny name. I'm glad we're not like that. But the reality is, friends, all of us at some level struggle with this. Though you may theologically pass the test and you may say all the right things, but when you really look at our lives, we do tend to live as if our good works, our obedience, and our goodness add to the work of Christ. Let me just ask it to you this way. Do you ever find yourself feeling real guilty and weird when you miss a few days of spending time with the Lord? Anybody? I do. It's like I miss a few days and I'm like, I don't have that divine covering. He must not be as close to me as he was. Or maybe even more insidious, and this is the worst, and I'll admit that this happens. Man, if I'm crushing it on my daily Bible reading, you know what I'm saying? I'm setting an alarm. I'm getting up before the kids. I'm having coffee with Jesus. And man, it's great. Can I tell you? I start to feel like you're pretty good with me right now, right? Like I got a little extra love from you right now because I, you, listen, I got it. Things go bad. I'm like, I got up at five. What are you doing, right? The reality is we do tend to think in like transactional ways as if God's love is conditional. I got to do all the right things, pull all the right levers so that I can stay under the love of God. The the fact of the matter is, y'all, all of us have a little bit of Pharisee in us. Maybe you look around at other people and you're like, I'm glad I don't spend my money like they're spending their money. Or I'm glad I'm not raising my kids like they're raising their kids. Or I'm glad I'm not making the decisions that they're making right now. And we find ourselves slipping into this. We all try to add works to the gospel of Christ. And, and even what we do also in the church is we draw these red lines that, that in our heads make or break someone else's Christianity. And oftentimes the rules we're making are nowhere to be found in Scripture. And even if you got a chapter and verse for me, a lot of times they're blatant distortions of the Scripture. And we try to keep people out based on all of that. Here's what I want you to understand, church. If we're going to continue to call ourselves a church, we've got to lay down our legalism. We've got to stop adding rules to the gospel. We've got to stop beating ourselves and other people up with rules. Instead, we've got to open up our hearts and show people the love of Jesus that we've been shown. When we do that, y'all, he stands ready to transform us and transform others in ways that we can't even really begin to comprehend. Because here's what legalism ultimately does. Legalism creates a culture of liars. When your life is, is fueled by empty religion and rules, we already said this, right? You go back to the basic 10, you fail. So what do we do in a culture of rules and religion? We fake it, right? Like we all act like we're not sinners, even though we know we are. So we all have to put on our church face. We all have to, you know, act like we got it together. It's like, no, we didn't fight on the way to church this morning. Everything's great, right? And we all come in and bless the Lord. Hallelujah. Give me five, five. You know, let's go. We're having a great day. Everything's fantastic. Nothing to see here. Just a perfect, good life. We know how to look like Christians, act like Christians, behave like Christians, especially around other Christians. 
And we all act like that we have it all together, but we know in moments of clarity, if we're honest with ourselves, we recognize that we're actually dealing with hearts that are far from God. And in those moments, we realize that dead religion cannot change us. But church, hear me. The gospel of Jesus Christ came to set us free from the chains of empty religion. See, empty religion tries to transform us from the outside in, but the gospel of Jesus Christ transforms us from the inside out. Empty religion says, be better, do more, follow more of these rules. Come hear this eight-part sermon series where I give you more law and hope that you can keep up. But the gospel says, walk with Jesus. Because no matter how hard we try, we are sinners We are broken. We're in desperate need of redemption. But Paul is saying to us, stop trying and start dying to yourself. The only way to change, the only real pathway to freedom in your life is a call to come and die. No DIY legalistic gospel is going to help you follow Christ. The only way for you to really know Jesus and walk with Jesus is to come to the cross and die to yourself I have been crucified with Christ. The life I now live, this new creation that I've become, I live by faith in Christ Jesus because of what he's done for me. And when we do this, y'all, the good news is, and this is what makes a church a church, you can stop all pretending to be okay. We, We can stop all pretending to have it all together. We, we can stop being like a museum of fake Christians. It's like those weird wax museums, right? Oh, here we go. <laughs> that was not in my notes either. It's fine. If we had two services, that would not make the cut for second service. It's fine. We don't. We just got one. So there you go. And it's videoed. So thanks, Brian. But man, we don't have to fake it anymore. We're not just a museum of fake people. Do you know what we've become? We've become a hospital for sinners. And do you know what happens when a bunch of sinners come to the foot of the cross together? God, because of the transforming power of the gospel, makes us trophies of his grace that declare to the world that anything is possible because he saved people like us. I served as a worship pastor at a church in Dallas. I mentioned that to you earlier. And I always joked with Mallory that it seems like we, we were in a kind of an inner city area, a transforming neighborhood that was very diverse. And uh, we had just a lot of unique people coming to our church. And we always joked that it seemed like the Lord always sent the crazy people to my choir. Always. It had nothing to do with the very normal, not crazy director of the choir. Okay, so uh, maybe that's why they were attracted to uh, the other crazy guy. But People would come, and we always had interesting folks. And one day, uh, this guy, I'm not going to say his name because, hey, I'm praying that maybe the Lord's still working on him. He may come across this video one day. But uh, this, this friend of ours, he came. He's a middle-aged guy. 
Uh, he had been through a divorce several years ago. He had been in and out of prison multiple times, and he was a recovering drug addict, and really his life was in a mess. He would bring uh, several nieces and nephews to church, kind of a dysfunctional family situation and cycle that he was in. But he started coming to our church, and he was a rough figure, man. He was a, a, a different type of dude, but we were just helping him, and all of a sudden he decided he wanted to come sing in the choir. So uh, now we got my guy singing in the choir, holding down the bass section, and we're just having a good time. We're giving him rides. We're just trying to help him as much as we can. And he always talked to me about an insurance settlement that was coming. Any day now, Rusty, any day now, man, my life's going to change when this comes in. And it's one of those that it went on long enough that I started to think like, yeah, buddy, sure. You know, I thought it was just made up and it wasn't going to happen. But sure enough, one day he gets his cash windfall. And my dude went from bumming rides all the time to all of a sudden having a big old nice half-ton truck. And so, yeah, when you drive a car like mine, it's like half-tons of big trucks. It's fine. So it's like, some of you are like, half-ton? Come on, man. You got to go 350 or bust. But sorry, man. All right. So anyways, he, he has a truck. Uh, he starts wearing suits to church, and nobody else did wear suits to church, so it was kind of weird. So he's wearing suits. Dude even fixed up his teeth, got a new set, new grill, like a new grill on the truck and a new grill in the mouth, right? Like, dude was looking great. Got some new readers so he could start reading the music. That helps, right? So things were so good. So all of a sudden, this dude who was rough and sleeveless shirts and shorts at church, tatted up everywhere, all of a sudden now is wearing a suit and blending in with everybody and singing up there in the choir. And I remember one Monday morning, I was in my office uh, watching the service because that's what music ministers do. They want to get better. So we're watching and evaluating. Back then, we didn't have this like internet streaming thing. It was on a, a little disc they called a DVD. So I put it in my computer and I'm watching this. And an old guy walks in my office, a great saintly old man at our church walks in and he said, hey, what you doing, Rusty? I said, I'm just watching the service. And he looks at the screen and he says, who's that guy? And he points right at my guy. And I said, oh, that's so-and-so. And he just stood back for a minute, tears welled up in his eyes. And he said, my goodness, look at what God has done in his life. But what this guy didn't know was that at 3 a.m. that morning, I'd received a call from this guy. And he was strung out on drugs and had wrecked and stuck his truck under a bridge in some slum doing something he shouldn't have done and was calling, trying to get my help. But I couldn't pull him out in my 15-year-old Honda Civic. So he was just out of luck. Here's what I want to tell you. My friend Frank was right. God was doing a great work in that man's life. Can I tell you that Jesus loved him as much when he was strung out under a bridge, making a wreck of his life literally and metaphorically, just as much as he did when he was up in the choir loft wearing a suit? Can I tell you that he might have actually been closer to the truth of the gospel when he was at his worst and willing to turn to Jesus? than he was when he was faking it and had it all together less than 24 hours before. Friends, the power of the gospel is that even when you're dressed up playing the part and faking it, the Lord loves you desperately and longs for you to turn to him. And again, if you're literally or metaphorically strung out somewhere in a slum, he loves you and desperately wants you to turn to him. 
That's the power of the gospel. We have a Savior who is ready to help those who will come to the cross. So friends, stop pretending. Stop faking it. Instead, come to the Savior and let the power of the gospel transform your life. That can happen today, right here, right now. You bow your heads and close your eyes. We're going to take a moment to just respond to the Word of God. And maybe some of you right there where you're at, you just need to take some time to to pray and ask the Lord to, to do a work in your heart to remind you of the truth of the gospel. Some of you maybe have been saved and you know this gospel, but you haven't been living in the reality. You, you've been living as if now that you're saved, you need to work on your own to get better. And you just need to say, Lord, help me come to the cross daily so that I can be changed by you. But maybe some of you in here have never had that moment where you really surrendered everything to the Lord. And if that's you today, I want to just invite you to come. Talk to me or Brother Bryce. Say, man, I, I want to talk to you about what it means to know Jesus. But whatever you do, I want to just invite you to respond to the word. Lord Jesus, thank you for the Bible. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for your gospel. Lord, may we never get it twisted. May we never start to think that that we and what we have done has earned our salvation, but instead, God, that you stand ready to save us and also grow us if we would just turn our hearts to you. Oh, so Jesus, by your grace, would you do a work in this place in every single one of our hearts. Thank you for what you're going to do. Thank you for listening to Central Baptist Church Buna's weekly sermon podcast. May God bless you as you continue to connect, grow, and serve.